Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. God's good, isn't He? Even in the times that don't make sense, God's good, right? Actually, He makes, sometimes He's better in the times that don't make sense than the times that He does make sense or things are going smoothly. So if you're guests here today, we want to say thanks. I am. I'm Bobby Smith. I'm the lead pastor here, and we've been in a series called Work in Progress, and it's exciting. And week one, we took a look at this concept of think for a change, and we talked about life change happens in our lives. Permanent life change happens because we think differently. We think, and I use the word intentional, that we're intentional with what we think about. Last week, uh, on this campus, uh, Alan Runner talked about the concept of doing something for a change, or uh, as I use the word down at Sherwood, not being a person of procrastination, because procrastination is the enemy to life change, because every time we think that we can just put it off another day, or another day, or another day, that what's going inev- to inevitably happen is we'll never get to it. And today, we're going to talk about a concept of taking charge of our lives, that we would take responsibility for change. And if there's ever been a time in history that we see it like right in front of us all the time is this time right now. There's nobody that takes responsibility for themselves. Newscasters don't take responsibility. Politicians don't take responsibility. Churches don't take responsibility. Pastors don't take, husbands and wives don't take it. So if there's ever been a time that we need to talk about this concept of responsibility and figuring out what that looks like in our lives. When we started this series, we used a baseline passage It's found in 2 Corinthians. And this was the one we said, listen, this is really important. This only happens through Christ. And it says this in 2 Corinthians. It says, this means that everyone who belongs or anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. The old is gone and the new has come. And we said that we weren't looking for temporary life change. We were looking for permanent. We're not just trying to turn a new leaf over. We're trying to turn a new life over. And so in that, we have to understand the only way that happens the, the, the way that, where it's incorruptible, that it doesn't change and it doesn't rust and it doesn't go back is we understand that Christ does the change for us. So this new spiritual life that we have only comes through faith in Christ. The new begins, uh, and here's the deal. When we come to grips, now this is gonna, like today may be one of those, I'm gonna step on a few toes, I'm gonna let you know that, that, that it's gonna probably happen, but it only happens when we take responsibility over life and we realize who we are, and we realize maybe the reason we're, we're, where we're at is because of me. I put myself in this position, and we take responsibility, and it's this, this is the passage, and we're going to look at this found in Romans. It's like, when we realize that we have all fallen short, that here's the excellence factor of Jesus Christ up here, and all of us fall down here. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says it just like this. It says, for everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard. Isaiah chapter 64, 6 says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing more than filthy rags, the dust on a rag. That's what what God looks at our righteousnesses. Like autumn leaves, uh, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Now, I'm going to be honest with you today. I have a hard time with this. I struggle with this. I don't always take charge of my life. I always don't take responsibility. And I'm a lot like a lot of people in this room, right? So a lot of us in this room don't take, like, there's times where I hurt people. I don't mean to hurt people, but I hurt people. And there's times that I hurt people intentionally. And I know that sounds horrible for it, but there's times that I go through certain things in my life where I, hey, you ever done this? I want to do the right thing, but you end up doing the wrong thing. Like, I want, I want to be this person. I, I, I want to do all the things that a, a faith follower, I, I said to somebody not too long ago, 
Like, like I, I, I'm, I, I struggle with certain things. I struggle with stupid people. I mean, let, let's just be on. Raise your hand high. See, here's the deal. I'm not that good of a Christian. Like, I do six out of the Ten Commandments really well. Right? Anybody else? Like, there's times where I wanna, I wanna be loving like Jesus, but like, you just have no. There are times where I, unfortunately, have said things that hurt people. Sometimes intentionally. There's, there's been times in my life where I've said things behind people's back. I've made myself look bigger to make them look smaller. You know what I'm talking about? We used to call it prayer. It's really gossip sometimes, isn't it? You know, we, we'd go, well, we're going to have a prayer chain today, and we're going to tell everybody about the sister over here that did this. There, there's some times in my life where all I care about is me, and I give no thought to anybody else, what's going on in anybody else's life, and I've got to take responsibility for that. Now, I know it sounds like I'm a little self-loathing, like I'm a little like I'm beating myself up, but I, I want you to know this. We're all like that. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest people in history, not Jesus, but Paul, Paul said he had this struggle. There's this struggle that he had, that he wanted to be one way, but he acted another way. And at times in his life, he knew right, but he did wrong. And as I'm reading through just the, the, the story after story that he writes about himself and how he takes a self-assessment and a self-awareness, I just go, you know something? What would happen in the world we live in if we were like that, that we were self-aware? Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and it's good. When he talks about the law, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And then what Jesus said, he said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He goes, there's nothing wrong with that. That makes perfect sense. Even when society's saying it's archaic and it doesn't work, it still works, doesn't it? But then he says this, man, the trouble is not with the law. The trouble is with me. The trouble is with me. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard the name of a guy, by the, his name is Jim Baker. Jim Baker was over PTL Club, and they had a big place up in uh, Charlotte. Um, it was called, I think it was called Heritage. It was a big amusement park. He scammed people out of millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. He ends up having an affair with a lady by the name of Jessica Hahn. His wife has an affair with a, a guy named Ressner, and there's all this problem. He ends up in jail. He's sitting in a jail cell, and he writes this book, and it's basically his biography. He's writing about himself, but this is the title. I was wrong. If you were writing a book about your life, what would it look like? What would it sound like? What would the title of it be? Paul saying, here the problem is, the trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. And verse 15 says, I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I, I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I, what I was doing was wrong, and that shows that I agree with the law, and that means I still have convictions from the Holy Spirit. And verse 17, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living inside of me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives inside of me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. In verse 19, he says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Verse 24, if you just drop down a few verses, it said, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? And thank God there's hope. And the hope is found in verse 25. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, so you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. 
If you read chapter eight, Romans chapter eight, it says it like this. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. There's hope for people when we take responsibility for our lives. But we got to take responsibility. And that starts with an admission that you understand who you are. I understand who I am. That I fall short of God's glory every time. That I have this battle, this inner battle going on inside of me where I struggle with sin. The, the, the saving grace is when I come to God authentically. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not just talking about coming down because you felt guilted coming down because your best friend came down. When you come to God authentically and you go, God, I'm bowing my, I'm bowing my knee at the cross and, I, and, 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 and I'm repenting right now. You know what happens when we do that? God forgives all of our sins. He, he washes them as far and, 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 and casts them as far as the east is from the west, washed whiter than snow. But it all starts with that one moment. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear something I want, loud and clear when I'm, I'm talking about this. This series is not some positive thinking self-help series. There's only, way that, there's only one thing that happens. It's when we give our lives to Jesus Christ that all that can happen. And so many times we go through, the, and, and listen, I'm not against 12-step programs. I'm not against any of the, the things that we do around here, you know, you know hermits, habits, and hurts. I'm a, but I'm telling you what, if we don't go to Jesus with the problem, we'll never get our lives straight, period. All the other stuff that we can try, we end up failing. But I can tell you this, Scripture says in the Old Testament, when you come to God wholeheartedly, he finds you. Wherever, however far it is, however deep it is, whatever it is, he'll come and find you. And taking responsibility means, you know what, here's the deal. Everybody in this room will admit this. Taking responsibility for our lives is countercultural. It doesn't come natural to us. I mean, from the time we're little kids, right? You ask the kid, who, fought, who did it? I had three of them. Like, I know. All right, who did? I watched you do it. And you know what happens with those kids? They become you. They become me. We grow up. And we've never taken responsibility for our actions, our life. And listen, I've heard them all. Hey, hey, let, let me tell you something. It's much easier to blame somebody else than it is take responsibility. Hey, the reason I'm, I'm overweight is because my mom, she didn't feed us good. You know, the reason I'm overweight is because I work a hectic job and I don't have time. It's my job's fault. It's my employer's fault. Or, or, or my spouse, she's so unsupportive. She has never one time helped me. Like, she's just like, I, I say I'm going on a diet and she brings over, you know, this big upside down cake and she just puts it in front of me and she force feeds me. I have an explosive temper because my dad used to yell at me all the time. I'm like this because my grandfather. I'm like this because of this person. Listen, if you work with the idiots I work with, you would be angry all the time too. I'm not saying this about you guys. Did y'all think? Of, no, I'm just, I'm. I have this addiction because this person gave it to me. I have this person. You know what I say? Break the daggum cycle. Stop making excuses, take responsibility and break the cycle of whatever that cycle looks like. And I believe with God's help, he'll break everyone. He will take care of every one of those things. Statements like that, when we make those kind of statements, when we blame shift, 
We're not taking responsibility for our actions. Instead, we're placing the blame. And I love what Dr. Wayne Dyer says. He says, the only thing blame does is to keep the focus off you when you're looking for external reasons to explain your unhappiness or your frustration. You may succeed in making another feel guilty or something by blaming him or her, but you won't succeed in changing whatever it is about you that's making you unhappy. When you keep pointing the finger on something, I don't know about your parents, my dad used to say this, anytime you point the finger at somebody else, there's three more pointing back at you. How many people remember their parents saying, it's because it's true. And let me give you some habits. I'm gonna give you some habits of blamers. You ready? Blamers rarely admit they're wrong because they rarely think they're wrong. They, they barely ever think. But, but, listen, blamers tend to focus on the past and not the future. Blamers are convinced that they were dealt with a bad hand. It's called the scarcity mindset. They think that everything is bad luck. They'll never have anything. Everybody else had better opportunities and I'll just be the way I am because this is just the way, this is the lot in life. Blamers justify their bad behavior by the bad behavior of others. Listen, everyone else is padding their expense account. So I must be, it must be fine. These are all things that blamers say. Now, if you've heard these or said these, I wanna let you know that there's hope. Through Jesus Christ, we can stop that by taking responsibility for our actions and responsibility, doing something that's counterculture. And I'm going to give you four things that we can do to make this work in our lives, to have lasting change. The first thing is take charge of the things that you can control and release the rest. Now, here's the deal. There's certain things that you can't control. Do you know that? You can't control the government. You can't control the president. You can't control society. You can't, con you can't control what Facebook is putting on today. You can't control, you know what? You can influence, but you can't control your boss. Oh, oh I'm gonna make some people mad. You can't control your kids. You can't. You can influence them. You can do the right things. There's only three things, three things in your life that you can control. And they're important. And when you understand those three things, it changes everything. You can change your thoughts. You can control those. You can control your words and you can control your actions. You're, you can, well, let me say it again. Thoughts, words, and your actions. Now, here's the deal. You can influence other things. You can influence by all means. Moms and dads, influence your kids, right? By all means, try to influence our society, our school board. Influence the things that are going on in our community. Influence coaches and players and all that kind of stuff. But you can't control them. But what you can control is your thoughts, your words, and your actions. I'm going to give you three passages of scripture that during the course of this week, you may want to use when your thoughts start slipping, or maybe your words start slipping, or maybe your actions start slipping. Here's the first one, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. We use, meaning God's people, mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And this is the line I want everybody for you know, taking notes. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That means when you're thinking something and you know it's not, you know, it, this isn't something I should be thinking about. This is something like, I shouldn't be thinking about that person over there. I'm, you know, I'm married. I shouldn't be thinking about this job situation. I think I shouldn't mean you know, about cheating my employee. I should, all those thoughts. We balance them out with what God's word says. And we go, you know something? I'm going to bring that into captivity of Christ. I'm not going to allow those thoughts to come in my mind. So that's the first thing, thoughts. Second thing is your words. Proverbs 17, 27. A truly wise person uses what? Thank you. Because you know what we think wise people do? Use lots of words. 
You know, my dad used to say to me all the time, the person that talks the most is probably the one that's wrong. It's because they're trying to explain themselves out of a certain situation. Use few words. A person of understanding is even-tempered. Third one is this, take control of your actions. So it's thoughts, words, and actions. James chapter 122, we have looked at this the last two weeks, but it says, just don't be listeners to the word. You must do what it says. And I love this last line. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You're not fooling anybody. You're fooling you. So make sure your actions correspond with what you're saying, what you're thinking, okay? So we're gonna control our thoughts, our words, and our actions, all right? Second thing is, we're gonna choose our influences. What in, what way, you've probably said this. If you have kids, you've probably said this before. Choose your influence wise. Make sure you're hanging out with people, of, you know, you know the, the rotten apple turns all the good apples rotten, right? We've used all the illustrations. But th- this is what it comes down to. Become selective in the voices that you allow to, to, to speak to. Your, my wife says this all the time. Bobby, you allow some things to live rent-free in your brain. Anybody else do that? The other thing she says is your issues have babies, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Clearly, what I'm talking about here is the best people around you. Who is pouring into your life? Who are you allowing to speak life in? I, I've gotten to the point now, and this, as it's, hurt, it's probably hurt some feelings, but it's what I have a very select group of people that I allow speak into my life. I, I want people speaking to my life that have my best interest, my family best interest, this church's best interest, my leadership best interest. And I just don't have the time. I don't have time for foolishness, to be quite honest with you. I don't have time. Listen, drama went out being cool in sixth grade, right? I, I don't have time for drama anymore. I, I, had a, I had a pastor come up to me this past week. Great church. Did you hear what happened? I said, stop. I have my own circus that I'm dealing with, my own monkeys. I ain't worried about another church's monkeys, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. I don't have time for it. And so it's one of those, what's the voice? When I was growing up, let me, because the other thing is when you allow voices, the wrong voices, it it has a negative impact on you. So when I grew up, I know this doesn't look like what I, I I grew up on a farm. And so um, next door to our house was a farmer. His name was um, Timothy, Timothy Smith. And one of my jobs was I got to milk the cows. Now, y'all think it's really glamorous. We didn't do this kind of milking, okay? We did. We sucked the suction cups on there, and they just sat there. And my job was to make the, the, the cows happy. Happy cows produce more milk. It's a proven fact, okay? So my job was to take the hay, Timothy hay and alfalfa, and I would spread it all in the trowel right in front of them so they were happy cows. So they would sit there and eat, and they would have all kinds of meat. Uh, milk, not meat. Well, they could be meat later, but anyway... <laughs> That's a whole other sermon right there. <laughs> but so what I noticed one day is we got there early and there was all this dust from the hay and all the dust, you could see it. And you've probably seen this in your house. Not nobody in this, you've probably seen it in somebody else's house where the sun comes in and you can see the dust particles. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody knows what I'm talking about? It's somebody else's house. I get it. Don't look at your spouse right now. But so all the hay, the, the dust from the hay would be, all, and you would see it in the morning when it was coming through the windows. And you know what happened if you didn't clean the machines after about a week? It would get, and it would get piled up. It would pile up three quarters of an inch, an inch, and the machines would shut down. And I thought about that. What dust from negative things, the negative people around us that we're letting settle in our lives, that we're not cleaning up, that we're not taking off us? I and mean, listen, I'm not saying like, you know, disown whoever, but man, we got we to gotta weigh out what we're allowing ourselves to hear. If you, if you want to know the truth, probably the only resource that we should be using to really, I mean, 
all the time is God's word. God's word, that's the thing we should be going, okay, who am I? I'm favored. I'm one of his children. I'm, 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 I'm well loved. So much that the son, of, the son of man died on the cross for me. Proverbs chapter 12, 15 substantiates this is who you listen to. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. So there is an element of listen, but who are you listening to? Proverbs 11, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. I was reading a story, and it's a story of uh, the exodus of Israel. And Moses, you know, you remember Moses, he, he's out there in the wilderness with them. And what do they want to do? They want to go back to Israel they, or Egypt. They want to go back to Egypt. And they're like, let's go back to Egypt. It was better back there in Egypt. They, no, it was not. Y'all were slaves in Egypt. They were killing you. And perception became reality in their lives. Could you imagine if, if, if Moses listened to the nation of Israel, they would have gone back. And, and I, I'm going to say something. I believe leaders or influencers or moms or dads or whatever you want, if you influence anybody, you're an influencer. Moms, we don't take people where they want to go. We take people where they need to go. And as moms and dads and church leaders and business, you know, we, we need to go, okay, God, where do you want us to go? Because most people, if you let them go where they want to go, they're going back to Egypt. They're going back to a place that was damaging and killing them. So what are we doing? What do we listen to? Who are we allowing ourselves to listen to? How about this? And I wrote some things down. Before you make that big investment, who are you talking to? Now, I have nothing against investment brokers, okay? I used to be one. But let me tell you something. They're in it to make a profit. They get a commission. You should be talking to two or three other people before you make that big investment, whatever it looks like. Get some people around you that have faith and understand that. How about this? When you get married, who are you talking to before you get married? If you're single in the room, before you get married, talk to a couple people. Get around some people that, are, that understand what marriage is. Go get some counseling. Get some premarital counseling. Hey, this is a big one. Before you pack your bags and go to another city. Listen, the, the, the struggles you're running from are going to be there waiting on you when you get there. Talk to a couple other people and go, okay, what do you think? Do you think this is a good move? How about when you commit to something? Like I'm talking about you commit to something. Like I'm going to get in this business or that new job or whatever. Are you allowing, are you bouncing off of people that have your best interest in mind and know who Jesus is? So taking responsibility means this. I allow only certain voices into my brain and, 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 I, and I'm controlling what I'm listening to. Here's the third thing. This is really, really important. Make it a habit to prepare for all possibilities. Now, we, it's easy to prepare for good things, right? Like, I can prepare for good things. I remember, um, anybody ever hear of a guy named Robert Schuller? Am I the only one that's old? Okay, some of you are afraid now to put your hand up. He was a pastor of a church out in Orange County, uh, California. It was called the Crystal Cathedral. And he was like the father of positive preaching and positive thinking. Like everything was positive. Well, we were out there one time. I we went to a conference out there and he was sharing a story. And the, and the whole message was about preparing for everything. And I was waiting to like to prepare for all the good stuff and prepare this and get your, you know, get an extra account open, whatever it was. He goes, my dad told me, greatest lesson I've ever learned, leave the house 10 minutes early before I go to a business meeting in case I get a flat tire that I still make it on time. I'm like, that's not positive. You're thinking about having a flat tire. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. No, we have to prepare for all of that. Like that's why he says count it pure joy when struggles come of all different varieties because they're going to happen. You just don't plan on everything going well. You got to plan for at times things don't go well. 
You, you, you want me to let in a secret? There's relational breakdowns that happen in our lives. Have you prepared for that? Sometimes kids don't do exactly what we want our kids to do. Have you prepared for that? Sometimes traffic on Washington Road. All the time, traffic on Washington Road slows you down. Have you prepared for it? You're going, oh, you, you want to know something? And, and I remember thinking, that's not biblical thing. No, it is biblical thinking. It's preparing for a storm. It's preparing for all the good stuff. Whatever the lot in life is, I'm ready for it. The problem is this. We put ourselves at complete mercy of our circumstances. We allow our circumstances to dictate. Don't tell me we don't do that. We have an appointment in 10 minutes. How much time do you have left before you leave the house? 10 minutes. I'm picking on women. Guys are just as bad. You know that, right? It's one way. And then something happens. Traffic happens. An accident happens. A flat tire happens. And then we're, we miss the job opportunity. We miss that opportunity to minister to somebody. We miss that lunch appointment, whatever it is. In most cases, I'm going to give you, I'm going to teach you a new word. In most cases, these circumstances, we can limit those circumstances by this one word. Create margin. Create a little margin in your life. Instead of leaving 10 minutes right before, leave 20 minutes. Listen, listen, don't wait for a financial disaster. Start saving a little bit now. $10 here, $10 there. And next thing you know, wow, it's not that bad. Create a little margin. Actually, it's biblical. It says this in Proverbs 22. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. That means we're prepared, we're ready for good and bad, whatever's going to happen in our lives. And I'm going to give you the last one. This is, I'm going to land here for a second. In everything, everything we do, everything. Say that word with me. That's pretty good. Not as good as when Justin tells you guys to sing, but it was pretty good. In everything, show initiative. In everything, show initiative. Jesus told a story, and he said, gathered these guys together, and he said there was this, this manager, and he was going on a long trip, and he was going to allow a couple of the guys to be in charge of his wealth. And he said, I'm going to give one. He said, I'm going to give one five bags, and the other one I'm going to give two bags, and the other one I'm going to give one bag. You know the story. You read it. You've been probably been that Bible, you know, Bible class, been five, two, and one. And he goes away for a little while, and he comes back. And he looks at the one that had five, and the five has 10 now, right? And the one that had two doubled it. Then he goes to the one that has one, and like, I'm thinking to myself, like, copycat, do something. Look at the other person who's watch it. He says, the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If, I knew, if you knew I harvested crops and didn't plant, and gather, I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten a little bit of interest. And then he ordered him. He said, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags. I want you to notice, this is not about how many talents you have. Most people read this and go, well, I'm a five-talent person. I'm a, this has nothing to do with talents. Because why did the master get mad at the one person with the one bag? He did nothing. Let me rephrase that in a different way. He did nothing. He was mad because he did nothing. He had at least an opportunity to take, take the initiative and turn that one into something, but he didn't do anything. And in our lives, I wonder how many times that God's just waiting for us to invest that little bit 
a little bit of initiative. Like maybe, maybe, maybe you're, maybe you don't like the way your, maybe you don't like the, your health. Well, listen, you're not going to start out today doing a hundred pushups, but do one. Like literally walk out of this place and go by your car, do one pushup and go, I did one pushup. I kicked that one, that one, that one pushups, butt. right. You know what happens in your mind? All of a sudden you did one. You only have 99 more left or whatever that looks like. It means, listen, I want to take that first walk around the block. You may not be able to do three or four miles, but take the first, take the first couple, get to the end of your driveway. Try that. Start somewhere. Take some initiative. Maybe today, put $10 in the bank. You know, that doesn't mean $10. If you're 20 something years old, you're a bazillionaire when you get to be my age. $10. Just a little initiative. Hey, how about showing up for work 10 minutes early instead of 10 minutes late? Or how about leaving 10 minutes late instead of 10 minutes early? Take the initiative. How about this? Man, I'm not going to ask you today. I'm not going to make you lie to me. Read a whole book of the Bible. Just read one stinking chapter. Start with a verse. Go to John 1. Start reading. You know what John 1 is? How much he loves you. How much he cares about you initiative. How about praying? You know, we see these people that can pray real good. I'm not a good prayer. My prayers get answered, but I'm not a good prayer. I don't know all the words that I'm supposed to use, the these and thous. He don't give a rat's butt about your these and thous. Most powerful prayer in the Bible is one in Mark. I think it's Peter goes to Jesus. The boat's about to capsize. They find Jesus sleeping at the bottom of the boat. And this is the prayer. Don't you even care if we drown? That's my kind of prayer. Don't you even care? Come on, Jesus. Get off the mat and do something, will you? Start somewhere. Whatever that looks like for you. I want to be a giver. Guess what? You're not going to be a giver starting out by giving thousands upon thousands. You can if you want to. Start with $10. Walk out of here, fill one of those things out, put the money in it, write your name, say a prayer over it and say, God bless me. God, I want to be used by you. I want to be a giver. I want to be an extravagant giver. Start somewhere. You want to start serving? I'll give you an opportunity to serve. We have 300, I don't want to exaggerate because that's what preachers do and I got called out in first service because of it. We have 3,562 kids coming to vacation Bible school. No, we don't. We have like 350 kids coming or so to Bible. Am I right, Denise, about 350? People ask me all the time, where can I serve? We have 350 kids that are gonna be on this campus, JLX week. And you know what? We have another 20 or 30 that wanna come that can't come because we don't have enough leaders. We don't have enough people serving. They would get to hear the dangerous message of Jesus. I hate the fact that we have to put them in a queue that says, well, just hold on. If somebody cancels out, I'm, I'm, I, I guilted first service. I wouldn't do that with you. But I mean, if these kids don't hear Jesus, then it's on you guys. I'll be here every day. Now, you know what we could use? We can use about five leaders. We, we can use a couple men, a couple guys that know who Jesus is. Um, we could start probably two or three more groups if we had a couple more. And so actually after service, Denise is going to be back at her area to check in. If you'd like to know, uh, find out more about that. Now, the only thing we do is we don't want no weirdos. 
so I can't go. Now, we, so there's some, there's some, there's some protocol there. Hey, how about this? Take some initiative. The first step toward reconciliation. There's some tension between you and somebody else. Just go, hey, what did I do? I'm going to own my part of what I did. I'm sorry. I did not mean to hurt your feelings. Offering forgiveness, making it right. Every day when we roll out of bed, we're forced, forced with a choice, aren't we? Every day. We can bury it and not do anything with it, and we can remain exactly the same. There's no life change. Or we can get up and we can embrace it. We can seize it and we can experience the blessed, best life that God has for us. Lou Holtz, a famous football coach, said this one time. He said, the guy who complains about the way the ball bounces is usually the guy that dropped it. I love that. He said, the guy has a choice. He can leave it, sit there, and he can complain about it, or he can pick it up. Let's be people that take initiative, and we pick the ball up. And we go, no, it's not the best. Even when somebody, even when life slaps it out of your hands, that you go, okay, but just leave it. And what would happen if we took that kind of initiative? We took that kind of responsibility over lives. How would it change in the world we live in? Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's in this moment right here. The question really is this. Will we spend time complaining about it or will we do something about it? What we do matters. God, help us all take responsibility for every one of our actions. The actions of how we handle people, what we do with people, about offering forgiveness, about the ministry that we have, about the call that you have on our lives, about interpersonal relationships with people, with our boss, with, with our spouse, with our kids. God, let us take responsibility for those things. God, let us listen to the right sources. Let us each put a couple people around us that are speaking life into us, not death. And God, allow us to ultimately hear from your Holy Spirit, the greatest voice, the direction you want us to go. God, I pray that you would be with us as we talk next week a little bit more about this life change, where we talk about in it for the long haul, that we're in it for life change, that we stick around for life change, that we, we don't just become a flash in a pan, that we are, we are long-term life change people. God, I pray that you would be with us during the course of this week. Guys, we just kind of reflect where our life is. And most of all, we reflect who you are as we talked about up front, that this all revolves around you. You're the only way we can have life change. And maybe there's people in this room that you've never made that decision to cry. Today would be a great day where you can have a conversation with your heavenly father and just ask him to take his rightful place as number one in your life. That's where life change starts. When you say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I've made a mess of it. God, would you take over and bring ultimate life change? God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.